0: You know, we normally preach uh, in sermon series at both of our locations, Marietta and Canton. We normally do that. It, It provides us with the opportunity between both of our campuses to really kind of stay connected to what we're preaching through. We have a teaching team for both campuses, and that's where Pastor Justin's at today. He's actually preaching at our Marietta campus. And so the series allow us to stay connected to what we're preaching at both campuses. But today is what we call an Open Sunday. Everybody say Open Sunday. You know what that means? I get to preach on anything I want to, and I'm just going to let it rip, all right? Any topic I wanted to, I got to pick it and just run with it. And so buckle your seatbelts. We're going to dive in today, and we're going to look at some uh, interesting things about the church. Big C, capital C, the church. Um, You know, we celebrated our one-year anniversary a couple weeks ago as a campus, and over the last year plus... I have had, I mean, maybe hundreds of conversations about the church, at least dozens and dozens and dozens. But I mean, just a bunch of conversations and people would ask me questions prior to us launching like maybe not these specific questions, but things like, um, so what will the worship look like? Um, You know, what will we wear to church there if we go to Canton? Or, you know, are you going to be one of those churches where you get to bring coffee into the sanctuary, the auditorium? Or um, are you going to be a traditional or contemporary or modern or postmodern or insert your favorite church adjective here, uh, church? What what are you going to be like? And then since we launched in the last year or so, I've had questions like, um, what denomination is the church? Or um, when are you going to move out of the school and get, you know, like a real building so that you can like be a real church, you know, things like that, right? And I can't... Those are all good questions. They really are. And I can't speak to the motivation behind every one of those questions. But a lot of the questions come from this motivation. I think my seat's falling. They come from this... Trevor said that this morning and now it's going to fall and I'm going to be... It's going to be bad. But I can't speak to the motivation of every one of those questions. But I can tell you that a lot of the motivation behind some of those questions goes something like this. Okay? It says... I used to go to this other church and here's how we did it. And I liked it or I hated it. And what is your church going to be in comparison to that church? All right. So it might go something like this again, not the exact questions, but it might go something like this. Like um, I went to, you know, X, Y, Z denomination church, Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, something other. We met behind the moon cycle. I don't know. Whatever. I went to that church and I loved it. And are you that same kind of church? Or, you know, I went to a portable church one time that met in a school or a theater or a conference center or something. And they talked about getting a permanent location, too, but they never did. And so what's your plan? You know, and, and, and so like I went to a church when I was younger and we had to wear like suits and dresses every Sunday. And do we have to do that here? You know, so like there's this image in our head or this experience in our past that says this is the kind of church or a church that I've been to. Here's my experience with the church. And I want to know if this church is like that church. And that's really what, what, we, what we see a lot of times. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. Don't go to sleep. Please don't do that. That'd be rude. Close your eyes. And I want you to do this for me. I want you to picture a sunset. Any sunset. Doesn't matter. Sunset last night or on your last vacation. Whatever. Just a sunset. You're, you're picturing that now. Okay? All right. Now open your eyes. And if the person beside you doesn't open their eyes, just give them a little elbow here. Okay? Some of you did picture the sun that sets... Over your house every night. Some of you might have pictured the sun that sets over the ocean at the place that you vacation every summer. Some of you, I heard a yeah right there. Some of you may have pictured, you know, you were in the car with your grandparents as a child driving through the mountains. And it was the first time you ever saw the sun disappear behind a mountain. I don't know what you pictured, but here's the question. Okay. Which sunset is right? Which one's right? Right. All of them, right? We got, we got a couple hundred people in the room, and so everybody had a different image in their head, and they're all right. Okay, so now close your eyes again. You're closing them. All right. Now here's what I want you to picture. Picture the church. Now open your eyes. Some of you pictured what we do in here on a Sunday morning. Some of you pictured the last church that you attended prior to coming here. Maybe it was the Marietta campus. Maybe it was another church in this community, or somewhere else that you used to live. Some of you pictured a church that you saw on television, Joel Osteen in this like 19 bajillion seat auditorium that used to be a basketball arena. Some of you pictured the little Baptist church where you were saved as a child, which one's right. Right. I mean, if if we've got all these things in our head, we've got all these images, all these pictures, and we're trying to think like, what is the church? Because if, if, if we're honest, the church is this really funny thing and and the seat's going to drop again. Um, I think I weigh 900 pounds when I sit on this seat. But the church is this funny thing, right? Because we all picture something different. We all have a different image in our head that... that if you were to describe what you think church is and the person beside you has described describe what they think church is, now we've got to decide which one of these is right or are they both right? Is it like the sunset? They're all right. Or none of them are right and it's something completely different. But I think for us to really understand what the church is, we have to drop back all the way to the beginning of the church and kind of track this story a little bit and see how we arrived at today where everybody probably pictured something a little different. The church began... ...with the death of Jesus Christ. More specifically, the church began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because for those of you that may not know the story... ...Jesus came, He lived on earth, He claimed to be the Son of God... ...He went to a cross, He died on the cross... ...He was put into a tomb... ...and three days later, they went to the tomb and He was not there. And then a handful of people, and then maybe a dozen or more... ...and then eventually up to 500 people, according to the writings of Paul said that after Jesus' very public death, that they saw him. And not only did they see him like not a ghost, but they saw him actually alive. Some of them claimed that they had been able to touch the nail scars in his hands. Some of them talked about touching the pierced side that he had, that he experienced on the cross. Some of them proclaimed that they had been able to eat a meal with him post-death on the cross. And then this really cool thing happened. Those people who had witnessed this amazing event of I actually saw Jesus alive after his death began to tell people about it. And they, began, they became witnesses to this incredible event and they started telling more and more and more people about what they had seen. And so it began to grow and more and more people began to believe and it became this movement that really began to overtake all of Jerusalem. And and, and at some point, not too far past the resurrection of Jesus, Jerusalem was overrun with all of these people that believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that he had been resurrected and that he gave some very specific commands to his followers after he had died and been resurrected. And so as you can imagine, the the rulers and the authority figures of that day, both those from the Roman Empire, which was the largest empire in the world, and the controlling force over the people and over Jerusalem, and the Jewish authorities, the religious leaders, the people that were in charge of the church and what religion even looked like at that point. They didn't like that there was this new group of people who was proclaiming something different than all hail to Caesar and the Roman Empire and, we, and and that's the king and this is the governing authority. And those who were proclaiming something different than the ways of Judaism that Jehovah God had, had specifically given a covenant to his people. And the only way to stay in right standing with God was to keep the ritualistic covenant relationship that had been established by Jehovah. And yet here were these followers of the way Who said that Jesus had come and he had proclaimed something completely different from both of those enterprises. That Rome was not the supreme being, but that he was establishing a kingdom. And that kingdom was not of this world. And not only that, but he did not come to to replace the law of Judaism and the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, but he came to fulfill it. He was saying, all the things that you read about and what you have as your scriptures, I am the fulfillment of all those things. But you can't get to God through the ritualistic ceremonies of the law. You only get to the Father through me. And so as you can imagine, the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities, they did not like this new movement of people and so they began to oppress and persecute them far greater than anything that they had seen to that point. And they eventually executed some of the original leaders of that movement. And the people, the followers of the way scattered from Jerusalem and spread themselves out through that part of the known world at that point in time. And if, if, we're, if we're honest, if we look back at that story, what we would find, what we should find, is we should find that at that moment, this movement of people, this group of people who claimed to believe this thing, it should have ended the movement because they scattered. They, they left Jerusalem where it had been their central base. They saw that they were being persecuted and, and really being killed for what they were claiming to believe by the governing, controlling authorities of the world and those who controlled the religious experiences of the day and it should have ended, but it didn't end. They scattered from Jerusalem, and what we see is that it became like a wildfire throughout the entire empire that that Rome controlled. And a little less than 300 years after Jesus died and was resurrected, something incredible happened. The same Roman Empire that killed the central figure of those followers of the way that they believe. Jesus Christ, this carpenter, uh, son of a carpenter, who claimed to be the son of God, the same Roman Empire that put him to death, proclaimed Christianity as the religion of the empire. And not only that, something really cool happened that we're going to talk about in just a moment with the emperor of that day. And so this was the start of the church. This was the beginning of what you picture when you close your eyes. But it's a little different, at least in the reality of the story, than what I picture when I think of the church. But see, all of it, all of the origin of the church centered around Jesus. And every single person who was going to be a follower of the way, they had to answer the question, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus? Do I believe what he said? Do I believe that he's truly the Son of God? Who is Jesus? It's a question that you and I, if you're a believer in this room, it's a question that you and I have had to answer at some point in our past. If you're not yet a believer in the room and you're still trying to figure this out and really trying to connect to what is truth and what is real and what is the reality and what does Scripture say, it's a question that you will ultimately have to face. What do I do with Jesus? This is not a new phenomenon. It's not just something that happens in our culture today. It's something that even happened during the days of Jesus Christ. When he was walking the earth, he was teaching, he was doing miracles. He was doing some really incredible things. There were people who were asking, who is Jesus? And and, and what do I believe about Jesus? And and how does Jesus play into all this stuff about God and what he's saying to that uh, about these things? And so in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus decides to get involved in the conversation. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to read about a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples in a really cool place, right in the, you know, the, the shadow of this incredible uh, temple in this incredible city of the empire of Rome. And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. says when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Verse 18, listen to this. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock. Your translation of the Bible may actually say which means rock or something like that. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell, depending on your translation, will not overcome it. Now. This is the first time that we read here in verse 18. This is the first time in the entire English New Testament that the word church is used. It's the first time that the word church is used. And in the original language, the word that we see here is ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. So in the original language, you have to understand that the Bible was not written in English. Does everybody know that? Was it written in Cantonese or whatever you speak? But um, it was written in three languages. It was written uh, and, and, and spoken in Hebrew, in Greek, and, and in Aramaic. And so in Greek, when when the scriptures, when the, the, the stories were written down and captured, the, this word here that was written in this verse, verse 18, in this part of the dialogue that, that Matthew is recording here, Jesus is saying, You are Peter, you are the rock. He plays on this idea that Peter's name means rock. He says, you're Peter, you're a rock. And he says, on this rock, which was the truth of what he had just proclaimed, that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. On this rock that you have proclaimed, I'm going to build my ecclesia. Now, ecclesia means a a gathering of, of, of people for a specific purpose. And what he's saying is, I'm going to build a gathering of people for a specific purpose on the the rock, on the the foundation of what you have just proclaimed, Mr. Rock Peter. And what what was the foundational truth? It was that Jesus is the Christ, is the anointed one, is the Messiah, depending on the translation that you're reading. He is the son of God. It was the cornerstone of the ecclesia that Christ was going to build. You, you're probably aware of this, you're way smarter than me, but a cornerstone is what the builders would use. It was the piece, the, the best rock, the most stable, maybe flattest rock, whatever that would give them the place, the, the, the piece that they could build the rest of the foundation around. So they would take the cornerstone and they would put it there and then they would build off of that corner to build whatever structure they were building. And he's saying to Peter and he's saying to these disciples, what you've just stated That I am the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the cornerstone. That's the foundational piece that I'm going to build my ecclesia around. And if you think about it, no matter what you just pictured in your head, for the most part, I, I can probably assume, which sometimes gets me in trouble, that what you pictured in your head as the church was probably, even if it was expressed differently, even if it didn't look like this room or another room that you've been a part of, it was probably built on the foundation of the cornerstone that Jesus is the Son of God. It's really, if we think about it again, there's a global church. There's a Christian church all around the world. And the, the, really the only general commonality that most of those churches share is that Jesus is the Son of God. And where we find division among the church, where we find other churches and where we get divided on, on the things that we believe in, in, in things that we really can't overcome. I'm not talking about style or methodology, but where we really find, hey, I, you and I don't believe the same thing as if we, if we divide over this issue. that Jesus is the son of God. And so we, we have to understand that this word ecclesia, even though it was the Hebrew equivalent, this is the same word that's used Uh, for the the children of Israel, the Hebrew people of the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, what was described, it was written in Greek, it was originally in Hebrew, and someone translated it into Greek, and they, whoever translated it, took the, the, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, God's chosen covenant people, which we've been talking about, I feel like, for four months, but really is only about six weeks to start this year. Those people were called the ecclesia. These Hebrew people who were scattered all over the known world at that point were the gathering of a people for a specific purpose. What would happen is the Hebrew people, they were all over. They were, they were in covenant and they were here and there and divided and gone. And they had, they had gone and conquered this land, but some had stayed back. And the families were divided and the tribes were divided and the clans were divided. And yet, when they were referred to by the Greek translators of the original text in the Septuagint, they were referred to in every one of those places. As the Ecclesia. God's chosen gathered assembly. The community. The congregation of God. United around a single identity. And a single purpose and reality. They were the Ecclesia. And so when we gather If we are around a single purpose, a single identity, a common purpose, then we are the ecclesia because Jesus looked at Peter and he looked at his disciples and he he, he had given them, they understood the context. They knew that an ecclesia could be a military gathering. It could be people gathered together for a military purpose. It could be a civic gathering of some kind for some single purpose. Any corporate gathering of people for a specific and single purpose. And so Jesus looked at those disciples and he said. I am going to build an ecclesia. And I'm going to build it around the identity, the purpose, the mission, the reality. That I am the son of God. Ecclesia. But the problem that you and I have. And you probably didn't even know you had a problem when you came in this morning. That's my job is to point out your problems. Problems problem that you and i have the reason that when we close our eyes and we think about the church that it's probably different than the person pictured when they close their eyes sitting next to you the reason that the church is no longer about a movement that's spreading like a wildfire except in certain parts of the world the reason that when you and i think about the church we think about a place and a location is because in 313 a.d Constantine declared freedom of religion for the entire Roman Empire. You say what? We talked about it. The Roman Empire was trying to put an end, they were trying to oppress these followers of the way. He was the Roman Empire. All of the emperors, all of the leaders to that point, were trying to oppress that. So anybody that claimed to be a Christian, anybody that claimed to be a Christ follower, anybody that was a follower of the way that, that proclaimed that truth and that reality was oppressed, even to the point of death by emperors like Nero. He was putting them to death for saying, "Hey, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I'm a follower of this new way." They were put to death. They were persecuted. But in 313 AD, the emperor of the Roman Empire was a man by the name of Constantine and he declared freedom of religion. He declared that you could believe anything that you wanted to believe and you would not be persecuted by the empire. And it didn't really take effect. It didn't really stop a whole lot of things until a short time later when Constantine himself said, I am a Christian. I am a follower of the way. It became fashionable. To be a Christian because it had gone from Christians are these outsiders. They're these reprobates. They are these people within our empire who are doing things against the authorities, the figures of the empire. And and so now the, the supreme ruler, the most powerful man in the universe at that point in their understanding was saying, I'm a follower of that. And so what you saw was you saw that people who had been trying to uh, put to death this move, put to death the church, put to death the things of religion. They wanted to sign up, too. They wanted to be a part of it, too. And they said, hey, we understand what religion looks like. We've been a part of religion. Maybe not this specific religion, but we've been a part of religion. And so we're going to take our ideas. We're going to take the things that we think about religion and we're going to put them in this movement. And so even though the the church, the ecclesia of that day, before Constantine declared that, even though, you know, it it was the church, what what you and I have, it it probably looked a lot more like our small groups that we have here in our church. You know, they would gather together, usually in homes, because it wasn't readily accepted, so they couldn't just meet like in really public places. They couldn't go to like a local high school and like gather in their theater. It Wouldn't probably work there. And so they had to meet in people's homes and they would eat together and they would read some scripture and they would talk about theology. They would sing some hymns. They would maybe take communion. And that was the ecclesia until Constantine declared, I am a Christian. And all these people began to put form and function and methodology and ritual back into what the ecclesia was supposed to be about. And even though they used to, you know, the ecclesia used to go and they used to maybe take communion at the at the graves or the tombs of some of the old saints, the original founders, the original witnesses of the way. Now, these people that were trying to bring about this really incredible form to what was this new religious expression, they would take and go exhume the bodies and they would put those bones of those old saints under the communion table of these new buildings that they had constructed to commemorate the old saints of the ecclesia. And the the Greeks, the Romans, they they would use a Latin word to describe these new buildings that they were creating for religious expression, and they called them basilicas. And these Germans who were heavily influenced by Christianity and by religion, they had a word for it too. It was kirika. And and in the modern German, that word is now kirch. And, And it meant any place any meeting place, any gathering place, it meant the house of the Lord, any place that you would ritually gather together. And it didn't matter if it was a Christian gathering or a pagan gathering, any ritual gathering that you would gather together and meet, there was now a name for that. It was no longer the ecclesia, it was now Kirch. It's a word that you and I get church. And so what started as a movement What started with Jesus looking at his closest followers and saying, Peter, rock. On this truth that you have proclaimed that I am the son of the living God, I am going to build an ecclesia. I'm going to build a people. I'm going to build an assembly. I'm going to build community. I'm going to build a gathering. On that truth. And then as the church began to get organized. It became less about a movement and more about a monument. It became less about a people and more about a place. It became less about a community and a congregation and an assembly together of these people that believed in a single common purpose, a common vision, a common identity, a common mission. And it said, he who controls the buildings... Controls the religion. He who controls the place. Controls the message. He who controls the place. Is in control. It's no longer an ecclesia. It's now. A church. And and it, it poses some interesting questions. To us this morning to me anyway it does maybe maybe it doesn't to you but to me i'm confronted with what we do and what it started out as i'm confronted with what did it start what did it look like in day 1 and what does it look like now i'm confronted with these questions are we a movement or are we simply Meeting. I'm confronted with this question Are we meet, making a measurable difference in our local community because of the gathering and scattering of the congregation, the ecclesia? Or are we simply conducting services in a location? I'm confronted with this question Are we the ecclesia? that Jesus would have been referring to when he was talking to his closest followers or have we turned into and settled for the ritualistic kirch that's about control because see if we're if we're a kirch if if we're about the place if we're about ritual then it only speaks to one specific group you know who it speaks to it speaks to insiders it speaks to the idea that for you to be a part of the church, then you have to know what we do and why we do it. There's a, there's a form and function. There's a ritual. And so you have to understand how you're supposed to respond and how you're supposed to act when we gather in that place. And so there's now a responsibility to insiders. But if we're, if we're an ecclesia, if we're a gathering of people, then we understand that people, there's messiness there. There, there, there's maybe there's people in an ecclesia that are still trying to determine if they even believe. But in the church, you can't do that because you have to believe before you can belong. But in an ecclesia, it has to be open for you to belong before you even know if you believe. And so I'm confronted with the idea today, are we the ecclesia? Or are we a church? Because, see, no matter what Bible you're holding or if you have it on your phone or you're iPad, or you read it on the screens, no matter what you had, that translation, if it's, a, if it's a good, reputable translation, which almost all of them are, if it is, then what you have is that you have the translation from the original text. Again, it, it wasn't written in English, and so it was Hebrew Or Greek or Aramaic. And so you have someone and some team of people, a group of scholars who came together and they provided a word for word or a phrase for phrase translation of that original language. But not in this case. Not in Matthew 16 verse 18. Almost every single Bible that probably exists in this room. That word ekklesia in the original Greek is translated church. And so it's not congregation, it's not gathering, it's not assembly. It's not that, hey, we're going to take what the actual meaning in the original language is, and we're going to translate that into the English understanding of this assembling together of people around a common purpose and a common ideal. And some of you are saying, yeah, but there's not, it's not too different, but it's huge. Because somewhere along the way, it became so ingrained in the culture, in the society, that they took the original language of ecclesia, and then they... Superimposed this German idea of control and place, and it wasn't about people, it was about place, and it wasn't about movement, it was about monument, and it wasn't about everyone, it was about a select few insiders. They took ecclesia, the word of Jesus, and they put Kirch in there, and they translated it to church, and you and I gather together thinking that the church looks like a place. Instead of a people. In 1453. The Ottoman Empire. Overthrew. They conquered. Constantinople. It was the capital. The the center. Of the the empire at that point. I'm not still sick. But I'm about to choke. So turn and say hello to somebody beside you. (coughs) That didn't take long enough. Do it again. As the Christians. Saw that this conquering empire was coming and they were going to overthrow the empire, many of them began to flee. And they fled the empire and they took with them many of the original manuscripts of the Hebrew and Greek scriptures. And they, they fled the empire. And even though in that day, the leaders were the ones who controlled the message. Even though the church was supremely established now, There was a group of people that said, listen, we've got to figure out a way to get the message into the hands of the ecclesia. Up to that point, the Latin translation of the scriptures, which was called the Vulgate, was either locked away in libraries, unattainable by the average person, or it was literally chained to the pulpit of the churches. Only those in control, only those in power had access to tell others what the message was. But there was a few. There were a few. who said, we've got to take the message and we've got to get it into the hands of the common people. There was a man by the name of William Tyndale. And he decided that I'm going to take this original manuscript. I'm going to take the Hebrew. I'm going to take the Greek and I'm going to translate it into English. And so he began that process and he... When he went to the original text, found that Ecclesia is what Jesus said, and he understood that Ecclesia didn't look like a building. It didn't look like a place, it looked like a people. And so he translated it to congregation. He translated it to a people gathered together under a common purpose with a single mission under a common identity. And you know what happened? To him who, just a man who wanted to take the message and the words of Jesus and get them into the hands of common people who didn't have the ability to take the Latin text that was chained to the pulpit or they couldn't get into the libraries. You know what happened to this guy? The leaders of the day decided that they wanted to kill him. The leaders of the empires of the day, the leaders of the religious experiences decided that this man who was trying to make the gospel available Should die. He was wrestling with them for control. And so as he was smuggling copies of the English translation of the scriptures back into his homeland. A friend sold him out. A friend said you'll find him here. Sounds similar to another man. Who wanted to get the message to the common people had a friend sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. William Tyndale was sold out by a friend. And they found him. And they tied him to a pole. And they strangled him to death. And then they burned his body. And then they scattered his remains among the other people. As if to say, how dare anyone rise up and try to take control from us, the leaders of church. Can you imagine? Can you imagine there being such a controlling group of people that did not desire to see the message of God, the message, the words of Jesus exposed to everyone who could say anybody is accepted through the message? On the cornerstone, the foundation that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. On that, I'm going to establish my ecclesia. I'm going to establish and gather a people. Can you imagine someone who would try to put a stop to that? But there were people who didn't want to see the ecclesia rise up. But the death of Tyndale and others like him breathed fresh wind into a group of men and women. And these were the days of the Reformation. And they decided that the message was for everyone. And they revolted against the religious establishment that said, He who controls the building controls the message. And they said, no, the message is for the ecclesia. Moments like these are amazing. Moments like these are powerful. But if we're truly to hold to the words of Jesus, it's not the moments that matter. It's the movement. It's not the place, it's the people. It's not that you come to this place which has been declared holy, it's that you leave this place as a holy people. Can I say to you that I don't want to be the church? I want to be the ecclesia. I want to be the people of God. Every time I gather with other people who are attempting to decide or live out this single purpose, single message, single reality that Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God. And I want to live as the early followers of the way lived on mission. You know, Jesus was resurrected. He, he, he was seen. And he spoke to his closest followers and he said, before he ascended back to the father, he said, listen. You need to spread what you've seen and heard. This is not going to be on the screen, and we're going to talk about this in just a few weeks in greater detail. But Matthew 28, 19, Jesus commands his disciples in what we refer to as the Great Commission. It is this co-mission, the mission that we do together. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Make other followers of the message. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And listen to what he says. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And he says, I'm going to be with you always. He gave them a mission on ask the band to come. He gave them something to center their gatherings around, and he gave them something to do when they scattered from their gathering. He says, listen, when you, I'm inferring words here, okay? So this is Jeremy's translation, Jeremy's opinion, but when you read it, I think this is what jumps out at you. It's not about you meeting together that's important, it's about your going into all the world that's important, right? It's not about the place that you meet, it's about the people that meet together. It's not about the church, it's about the ecclesia. And so you know what, as I've prepared and studied and read, you know what comes to mind now when I close my eyes and I think, what is the church? I mean, if I I am so conditioned now to believe that what Jesus was talking about and what we do and who we are is church, if I'm just going to keep using that phrase, okay, that's great. And what is the church? The church, in my opinion, is the people that gather together under a single purpose single reality that Jesus is the Christ he's the son of the living God it means that when we gather here on Sundays together we are the ecclesia we are the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave to Peter and a group of ragtag crazy folks who would turn the world upside down when he said I'm going to establish a people he was talking about us You know what else the church looks like? It looks like a group of people that go to Bethesda Community Clinic and pray a couple times throughout the year on a Saturday. It looks like a group of people who gather materials together to donate to Must Ministries. Looks like a group of people who go walking through Bradshaw Farms neighborhood just to pray over the houses. They're not they're not soliciting, they're not knocking on doors, they're just walking the streets praying for the houses. Praying for the people that live in those houses. It's the ecclesia. It's the gathering of the people of God. Anytime we're gathered together. It's a group of middle school and high school students. Who meet in a warehouse on Wednesday nights now. So that Trevor can talk to them about Matthew 28, 19. Go into all the world. Do the mission of God. It's about these four classrooms down this hallway. With babies. And toddlers. And preschoolers. And grade schoolers. And some Adults crazy enough to want to spend time with those kids (laughs) and love on those kids and model for them what it means to be the ecclesia of God. We're looking for a building. Eventually, we're going to be in a permanent space. I don't know what that looks like. We're looking... We're looking for lease properties we can get into and have a 24-7 presence and be open seven days a week. We're looking at buildings that we can buy outright and move into. We're looking at land that we could eventually build on. We're looking at a lot of things. We're not looking for a church. We're just looking for a place to gather as the people of God. So that when we gather, we can eventually scatter. And we can go into all the world and we can be about the mission of God. We can be so set on fire because of the things that we've witnessed in our lives that we can't help but tell people about what we've seen and heard. I want us, I want this community, this congregation, this assembly to be about more than just showing up on Sunday morning. I want us to be the ecclesia. I want us to be a gather and scatter and regather and rescatter and regather group of people. I want us to affect change in this community and we can't affect change from inside this room. I want the divorce rate in this community to go down. Because of this ecclesia, I want the number of children in abusive homes to go down because of this ecclesia. That doesn't take place in this room, it takes place out there. I, I want the crime rates in this community to go down. I want those who are hungry and homeless to find shelter and food. It doesn't happen in this room happens when we leave this room because the church is not about a place it's about a people and it's not about a monument that we construct it's about a movement it says i want to be about the christ the son of the living god i want to be the ecclesia Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I thank you for the reality and the truth of your word. I thank you for the conversation that your son had with his closest followers over 2,000 years ago. I thank you, God, for the Roman Empire and its oppression of the followers, which just compelled them to proclaim it with greater courage I thank you for the Ottoman Empire that overthrew Constantinople I thank you for William Tyndale who wanted the message to get to the masses I thank you for the Germans who have a word that means gathering of ritualistic function of some kind And I thank you for Cherokee County Schools that built a building thinking that it would be only a place of education. But now serves a greater purpose to house the ecclesia of God's people. On some Sunday mornings, for about 90 minutes, so that we can understand the reality of your word and leave this place with a desire to be a movement to gather with other ecclesias in this community and around this world who proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that on that cornerstone we can partner with other ecclesias to effect change and to proclaim who you are. Let us not be about a place. Let us be a people. Let us not be about this building or a building. But God, let us be about moving, responding, going, action. Let us be your ecclesia. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this together. Jesus, be the center of your church.